Turn again in your Bible, please, <coughs> to our text of consideration in Judges chapter 11. I have said many times from this pulpit, and I will yet say more times, the great value to our soul in the worship service, or in any service, is the hearing of the Word of God. If we read the scriptures and did no more, dismissed and went to our houses, we shall have done well for our souls. It is not in the preacher, in the service, any of the mechanics of it. But if we're to be helped at all, it'll be. And the Spirit of God takes up His own word. Carries it home to the heart. And so we never hasten or neglect simple reading of the scriptures. Judges chapter 11 and this record of this deliverer for Israel, the man Jephthah. Taking up that story again at verse 12, we read together. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Ammon answered him unto the messenger of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land, when they came up out of Egypt from Arnon even unto Jabbok and unto Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands again peaceably. Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Ammon and said unto him, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness under the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through thy land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto. And in like manner they sent unto the king of Moab, but he would not consent. And Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness and compassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came by the east side of the land of Moab and pitched on the other side of Arnon but came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of Amorites, and the king of Heshbon. And Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land into my place. But Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through his coast, 
But Sihon gathered all his people together and pitched in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel and they smote them. So Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites and the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coasts of the Amorites from Arnon even unto Jabbok, Jabbok, and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So now the Lord God of Israel hath disposed, dispossessed, sorry, hath dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And shouldest thou possess it? Will not thou possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess. So whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. Nor now art thou anything better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns and in Aror and her towns and in all the cities that be among by the, along by the coast of Arnon 300 years? Why therefore did you not recover them within that time? Wherefore I have not sinned against thee but thou doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord. The judge. Be judged this day. Between the children of Israel. And the children of Ammon. Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon. Hearken not. Under the words of Jephthah. Which he sent him. Turn with me again and. We will sing together number 492. Would you please stand with me while we sing 492. Death and hell. 
And can such travels be restored? Such natures made divine. Let sinners see thy glory, Lord, and feel this power of we raise our Father's name on high, who His own Spirit sends to break rebellious strangers' night and turn His foes to and thank you, be seated. I seek simply to finish the message that I have begun on last week. I said to you that for the next on last week, I said to you that for the next couple, three messages, I would like to glean the lessons that may be had from this text, which we have been preaching in now for some few weeks. Judges chapter 11, verse 12 through 28. We have dealt with this now already in several sermons. But now I have sought only to glean from it lessons. And on last week I started a message. In that first lesson I said to you, lesson number one, that I would seek to draw out from this text of scripture and from the study of it, from the exposition of it. Lesson number one I said to you was that we learn from this text how very hard, how very obstinate is the human heart. How deep are the depths of our depraved condition. I made the statement on last week that you will never know any other doctrine aright until you know this doctrine. You'll never know any other truth pertaining to man's salvation Alright, until you know this truth. In that old message of many, many, many years gone by, I often think of the wording. Dear brother said, you'll have to resolve in your mind, did Adam die in the garden or was he just mortally wounded? He died 
And the state of the human heart from that hour has been one of absolute and complete and total depravity. We learn it in this text. And I was giving you from this text how we learn that lesson. I said to you, first of all, we learn that the human heart will defy the will of God even in the face, number one, of historical facts. Here in this passage, Jephthah opens up in a lengthy discourse all the details of this history of how Israel came in possession of this land in dispute. Jephthah's argument was of such detail in verses 17 through 22 and such precision of historical accuracy, I said, that no reasonable doubt could possibly remain of Israel's rightful ownership of these lands. No reasonable doubt could be left. But then there is no reason with the depraved human heart. It is in every respect most unreasonable and cannot be reasoned with. So we see the depth and ugliness of the human heart and depravity in that it will defy the will of God even in the face of the most blatant historical facts such as the damage to the human heart, the depravity of the human heart that lies will always prevail over facts in the judgment of the sinner's heart. My goodness, how we see that prevailing in our day, do we not? Lies will prevail in the face of truth. Whatever may be the wicked implacability of the heartless sinner, we must always maintain truth, facts. I did not bring it out in the message on last week. But I've meditated much on how this point is illustrated time and again. No other place is it seen more profoundly, in my opinion, than in our modern rejection of the King James Version of the Bible. Look at the history. Look at the historical facts. How God has owned this book, owned this translation, in mighty movements among the English-speaking people throughout history. And yet our generation has chosen to disregard all of the facts of history and cast it off. What a thing. I shared with you very briefly too sidelights from this particular point 
First of all, I told you that when truth has been fully and finally made plain, there remains nothing left to do but wait for God to arbitrate it. Jephthah said in verse 23, So now the Lord God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel, and what shouldest thou possess it? The Lord did it. We'll wait for him to be judged between us. He goes on to say. And then secondly, I said that the desperate depravity of the human heart is seen in this text in the fact that the, the sinner's heart will resist and defy the will of God even in the face of the profoundest precedent. The face of the profoundest precedence. Verse 26, Jephthah makes the point and brings it to this man's heart. Look, 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 he said. Look what happened. Look what happened. This is what happened. And this status has existed now for 300 years. 300 years. Why, he said, why, therefore, did you not recover it within that time? 300 year precedence, and you come now to take possession. <laughs> oh, the depravity of the human heart will defy the will of God even in the face of the profoundest precedence. We've come to live in an hour and I made this statement and I would drive it home to your heart again. We've come to live in an hour in which Dr. Precedent has come to wear the rags of a leper rather than the robes of a prince. Generation has come along and said, well, we need to change everything. Why? Well, that's because that's how grandma did it. As if, by definition, that makes it wrong because grandma did it. It may not have been right just because grandma did it, not if she did it wrong, but if she did it right, then her precedent should carry weight with us. But such is the wickedness of this modern generation such as the wickedness of modernity, that it would cast off every precedent for no other reason than the fact that it is so. 300 years, Jephthah said. 300 years, man. 300 years. Does that mean nothing to you? No, it meant nothing to him. Nothing at all. But then thirdly and finally in this message, I brought it out, I mentioned it just in passing at the conclusion of last week. The fact that the human heart is so depraved that it will defy the will of God in the face of divine prerogative. God's right. Verse 23, 
and 24. So now the Lord God of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, the Lord God of Israel hath dispossessed the Amorites from before his people. And shouldst thou possess it, wilt thou not, wilt not thou possess that which Chemoth thy God giveth thee to possess? So whosoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. God did it. God did it. Such is the blackness of the human heart. Such is the depth of our depravity that we will defy the will of God even in the face of His own divine prerogative. What supposed right, says Jephthah, what supposed right have you to possess it when God gave it to us? Was it not his prerogative? Says the good Dr. Gill. And shouldest thou possess it? What through the blessing of God in their arms they have obtained by conquest and he has settled them in it? Did they conquer it that thou shouldst possess, possess it? Did their God put it into their hands to deliver it into yours? Did they fight to recover for thee what thou hast lost and to put thee into possession of it? Did not they fight in their own defense and their enemies in their land fell into their hands and by the laws of right of nation become theirs and canst thou expect to possess it? What reason is there in this? The good pastor Roger said, Jephthah setteth down in themselves thus, and says, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, would needs come out against us as we were going toward Canaan. And God gave him into our hands, so that by him we enjoy this land, which ye contend for, which he enjoyed. Therefore, what have ye to do to claim it? What right have ye unto it? For ye never possessed it. But Sihon, of whom we want it by the law of war. And so if the Lord our God hath cast him out and given his land to us, comest thou in who hast nothing to do with it against us to possess it? Ye Ammonites worship the idol Chemoth for your God, and you think that the land which ye possess, ye enjoy it by his benefit. And so by good right. And so we have this by the benefit of our true God. And therefore we possess it a very good right. In short, God gave it to us. The divine prerogative. Says Gil again. It is a maxim with you as among all nations, that the lands which they conceive to be given by their gods, they have an absolute right to and should not relinquish to any claimant whatsoever. Ye suppose that the lands which you possess 
were given by your God, Shema. And therefore you will not relinquish what you believe you hold by your divine right. In like manner, we are fully assured that Jehovah our God, who is the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth, has given the Israelites the land of the Amorites, and therefore we will not give it up. The ground of Jephthah's remonstrance, says Gil, was, was especially sound and impregnable. What was the ground? <laughs> God. Gave it to us. Jephthah said to this heathen king, I claim no more than you claim the rights of my God. Oh, has not our God right, in the words of Daniel 4 and 35, to do whatsoever he will in the armies of heaven? And in the earth has not our God the right? Oh, my beloved sainted friend this morning, may I admonish you with this reality, that what our God hath conquered for us is ours, and we can claim it. Shall we not Possess it? Did he not conquer and give it to us? Then we should possess it. In the marvelous wording of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, that beloved apostle says this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. I would have you to know from this text, we are now the sons of God. He bought it. He conquered and delivered it to us. It's ours by divine right. Now are we the sons of God? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 said, But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled. We shall be saved. We shall be saved by His life. Hallelujah. Oh, down at chapter verse 19. For as by one man disobedience many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, can I just say to you this morning, my friend, if you ever struggle with doubt, if you ever struggle with certainty, turn to this text. 
And remember, God bought you salvation. By divine right, he bequeathed it to you. And you have a right to claim it. What right, King of Ammon, have you to this? Our God gave it to us. Oh, shall I go on? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now. <laughs> oh, yes, we are his workmanship, verse 10. We were dead, verse 5, in our sins. Oh, but now, verse 13. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometime were for all, hallelujah, were made nigh by the blood of Christ. I was for all, but I've been made nigh. Verse 19, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, and but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone Hallelujah. I have it. I have it. He conquered it. He bought it. He bequeathed it to me. It's mine my right and I'll claim it. The devil has no claim on it. I was far off, said the apostle. I've been made nigh. <laughs> oh, when our God says in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8, I'll never leave you. Saint of God, are you listening to me this morning? Satan comes to each of us in different ways, with different troubles, with different burdens, with different doubts, with different fears. But I, can I just tell you, our God has purchased, listen, Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8. He said, I'll never leave you. You can claim it. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. He said, I'll stick closer than a brother to you. You can claim it. I'm not talking about this name it, claim it crowd going on today. Talking about giving you Cadillacs and lands and houses. I'm not talking about that temporal trash. I'm talking about spiritual reality. I'm talking about conquest. What he bought. I'm talking about his divine right. When our God says in John 14 verse 27. My peace give out unto you. Not as the world giveth. Oh but a peace that passeth understanding. You have a right to it. What right does a devil have to take that away from you? And he said in Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 6, he said, I'll be a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, let the storms in your heart. I'm not talking about storms out there in the world. I'm talking about storms inside here. When storms are raging inside here, my God had the divine right to declare to me, he'd give me peace. He'd, he'd be a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, here's two blessed things. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 2. 
What a wonderful, what wonderful words are these. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 2. Listen to this picturesque language. And a man shall be as in hiding place from the wind, covert from the tempest, rivers of water, in a dry place, shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Oh, where are you this morning, saint? Are you in any of them places? Are you in any of these places this morning? Are you in a wind? Are you in a tempest? Are you in a dry place? Are you weary? Oh, he said, I'll be like a hiding place. I'll be a covert for you to get into. I'll be like the rivers of water when it gets dry. I'll be a great rock in a weary land. Oh, can I tell you, saying, you've got a right to claim it. He bought it. It was his divine right to be pleased to you. Satan has no right to it. No right to take it. Oh, listen. <laughs> he said in Jeremiah 32 and verse 38, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. What a standing. Luke was praying earlier. Seems, it seems our own hearts would condemn us and say to us, you've got no right to come to him. You're not worthy to come before him. Oh, yes, it's true. It's true, but can I tell you, he bought me with his blood. He won the victory. He achieved the conquest. And bequeathed it to me. And I have a right to claim it. By his divine right to give it. Hallelujah. I'll be your God, Jeremiah 32, verse 38. And you'll be my people. Listen to this. Listen to this. Psalm 27 and verse 10. He said, even when your father and mother forsake you, I'll take you up. Some of us know what it is, the pain of being forsaken by those you love the dearest. He said, well, even your father and mother, if they forsake you, I'll take you up. <laughs> hey, hey, I've got a right to that. My father bought it and gave it to me. Satan has no right to it to take that away from me. Oh, on and on and on I could go and I started to, but I won't. Telling you, showing you in the scriptures, things, my God, land he took and gave to me. But the depraved heart will defy the will of God. And can I tell you and warn you, 
your adversary, the devil, will defy the will of God even in the face of his divine prerogatives. Oh, Jephthah, Jephthah acts here as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. Oh, with what great wisdom does Pastor Rogers bring this lesson to our hearts? He said we know that he might have said much more. Jephthah could have said much more than he did say. He might have said much more, Pastor Rogers said. He might have discoursed much touching the difference between God and an idol, between heathens and Jews, the true church of God. But to what purpose? He might have been audacious, but he could not have convinced convinced him to teach us that all men must not be handled alike in confrontation of their errors, their heresies and their profane customs, but handle them by grounds acknowledged by themselves. They must be urged to confess the truth of conclusions which they would not otherwise acknowledge. No man puts new wine into old vessels. No man punishes a Frenchman by English law. Why? He takes not to himself to stand bound to the law which he never consented to. Sometimes we may take the true confession, a true confession, of our adversary as an argument against him. Hmm. Sometimes we may use his own confession against him, though it be false. So it be to convince him and to do him good. And this manner of arguing, though it conclude not directly, yet it is a strong evidence against him. This teaches us, says Rogers, in dealing with any adversary of the truth, to smite him with his own weapon. Not with God's weapons drawn from the armory of the scriptures. When possible, smite him with his own weapon. The church smites not the infidel by spiritual censures because he is not capable of spiritual direction. There are none so erroneous but they who hold some truths. And the truths which they hold may serve to infringe the errors they maintain. And so when they are brought to suspect or renounce falsehood, they may be the sooner persuaded to admit the truth which before their strong prejudice would not allow them to admit. Neither will it be hard to do so since that it is, since that it is impossible, listen now, it is impossible, but that he who writes many truths shall contradict himself in his errors before he's aware. And let this course be used against the ignorant 
and ungrounded. Hmm. I said, Jephthah here was wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Oh yes, in this pagan refusal to grant Jephthah's rights, which he got granted from his God, even his own deities, he demonstrates the awful truth of the depravity of the unregenerate heart. Someone has well said that the calloused heart of the unbeliever wills not to be moved, neither by reason, by truth, or by God himself. But if you say this morning, well, why did Jephthah not reason more with him? Or why did he not use some other appeal? The answer is, if this final appeal, that is to the rights of Almighty God, has no avail, then all that's left is reprobation. When the sinner will not have this, when this final appeal has no weight, no merit, and will not avail, then where we are left with nothing but to believe that they have been reprobated. will not turn. Oh, what a vast treasure of wisdom in these two past messages have we gathered from the beloved Rogers in 1615. But in this text, here, he must speak again. Listen. Happy is he who relenteth and meekly submitted himself to God by resisting his wicked attempts and stopping his bad course. Lest by kicking against the pricks he goeth forward to his own sorrow and destruction. And this is much more verified in such as will take no counsel by the reproof of God's law. but turned their ears from it. Yea, he says, I warn to you who have lived a long time under God's law unprofitable. You hear me? You hearing Rogers? Preaching to his congregation just as I'm preaching to you right here, right now. He said, I'm warning you, those of you that have lived a long time under the law of God, unprofitably, I'm warning you from this text that you will wax obdurate. Surely they do because of they are unhappy people who the Lord hath not purposed by his promise and ministry of the gospel to convert them and save them. 
If you sat a long time, says Rogers, under the law of God, unprofited, I warn you, you may be among those whom God has never purposed to save. But we don't hear that in our pulpits, do we? He said, else, why should it not be the case for all as well as some? Now, if any will cavil against this and say either that, number one, God is bound to deal with them as he did with Paul, whom he saved by violence. Hmm. Or number two, that God... In so hardening men is the author of their perdition. Well, he responds, I answer to the first that God is a free agent and bound to none of his creatures. Amen. Praise God, we'd see a a turn, I believe. We'd see a turn in the direction of our nation in the direction of the work of God, if pulpits would start preaching this again, God has no obligation to any of us. Said Rogers, God is not bound to any of his creatures. He need not at all stop them in their evil course, much less strive with them when they break through his opposing purposes. And as to the second argument, he says that the Lord need not cause, the Lord need not cause any man's destruction. For if he does not stop him, he runs on to it of his own accord. The Lord doesn't have to push him, force him, direct him. All he has to do is leave him alone. And he'll destroy himself. And therefore, if he do not molest, molest the heart, it waxes hard of itself without him hardening it. Oh, you'll not, you'll not blame God for the reprobate. It's his own sins. Cannot God do what he will? Daniel 4.35. It is his prerogative. Divine prerogative. Such is the depravity of the human heart. So what we see here in our text this morning, we see a lesson in this awful truth of the depravity of the human heart. And I've given it to you under three headings. The depraved sinner will defy and resist the will of God even in the face of indisputable historical facts, in the face of the profoundest precedents already laid, and oh my, in the face of even God's divine prerogative. What a lesson, what a lesson, 
what a lesson in this text to our hearts about our depravity. No spark of divinity. No good in us. Utterly, utterly depraved. Turn with me this morning in your hymn book. Stand with me to sing, please. We conclude our message with the singing of hymn number 500, How Sad Our State by Nature Is. Our sin, how deep it stains. Satan binds our captive minds fast in his slavish chain. Stand with me, please. M number 500. My Savior and my 